everybody, welcome. Welcome to the You Are Inevitable podcast, where we are going to take a deep dive and uh, help you tap into your inner resources. You are here with me, Kathleen Seeley, Natalie Alexia. We are two very seasoned coaches. <laughs> <laughs> Together, we'll be navigating through thought-provoking discussions um, and kind of really seeking a life source from something dipper, deeper. Dipper or deeper? Yeah. Which is it? Yeah. Um, but we're going to bring you six decades of combined history of wisdom, spiritual acumen, academic study. Uh, we love to laugh. We like to make fun of ourselves. Let's see where this is going to go, Natalie. So get ready for some unscripted, disruptive conversations. We hope we disrupt your thinking just a little bit. And those of you listening, if you're uh, watching the replay, um, make sure you like, subscribe, and leave us a review if you love it. It's very helpful. So here we go. Let's get right into it. Today, we are talking about sticky conversations and, you know, why they matter, uh, why they come up, why we avoid them. And um, it's also my birthday. Woo, woo. So lots of, <laughs> I would have to say, sticky conversations with myself uh, have been coming up, you know, turning 59, approaching 60 years, feeling like, huh, where am I? What am I doing? And um, what is getting in the way of what I might think I want to do? So here we are. Natalie, how are you today? I am. I'm wonderful. I'm excited to be here with you on your birthday. And as I shared before we hopped on, somehow now we've formalized this into a podcast as opposed to us just having a chit chat, mildly nervous. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, it, it's it's funny when you make things formal, like uh, I say, just try to script me. But anyway, nevertheless, let's let's do it. We've been having these live on air uh, discussions really totally unscripted for a couple of months now. And as we talk, they evolve into great deep conversations that I found that I've learned something new from you. Uh, your perspective is always enlightening. Some stuff in the chat. Anyone, we, we love seeing what you put in the chat. And then I kind of evolve my own thinking. I find when I speak out loud, um, new thoughts and ideas come. So let's just start with, the, I mean, a real super basic question. What, should we start with why have a sticky conversation or what is a sticky conversation? I think we're gonna start with what is a sticky conversation? Okay. How, would we, how would we define it? Yeah. So for me, a sticky conversation, and you can talk about what it is for you. For me, it's like something that's really on my mind and having it with the person feels like a risk. Um, it could put make me vulnerable. It could put our relationship at stake. Um, it could change the dynamic of our relationship. It could be something that I've decided to speak up about that I've been holding on to a while. So it feels like, oh my gosh, like, should I just let this go forever? So for me, a sticky conversation is something that really puts either a relationship at risk or I feel vulnerable. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I think you've nailed it. I think for me, anything, anytime something is consuming my thinking, you know, it's a good sign for me that I need to do something with it. If I wake up in the morning thinking about it, or if I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about yeah. it, or if it's the last thought before I go to bed, that kind of, and it's persistent, you know, something that keeps coming back and sort of niggling at me. And that's the point at which I think something needs to happen. And it might be a sticky conversation. Um, and I would agree. It's uh, even as I'm talking about it, just the, I think the fear of a relation changing or risking a relationship with someone is what comes up for me when I think about it. Yeah. And it's I wonder, you know, it's it's interesting. It's a kind of a paradox, isn't it? Because by sharing what's on my mind, say, for example, with you, and it feels risky, it's because 
the, the outcome could be a deeper relationship. When there's a risk involved, it feels scary, but also flipping it around into an opportunity to get to, to know you or whoever it's with just a little bit deeper. And, um, and then building my own sense of um, courage and a sense of, um, I don't know, competence, or I can't think of the word, it'll come to me, but just feeling like, wow, I had that really difficult conversation and nothing bad really happened. Nothing catastrophic that I imagined in my mind. Um, but it, it's kind of like the, the paradox of this could make us closer. If I don't have this conversation, it actually, I could feel like I'm pulling away from you. Mm. What do you think of that? Yeah, I agree. And I think the other thing, especially in relationships, I was going to say intimate relationships, but I don't think that's true. I think any kind of relationship, whether it's, you know, a work-based relationship or a friendship or an intimate relationship, oftentimes if we don't create some kind of internal resolution and that internal resolution could be generated by a sticky conversation. And I think we're going to get into like, when is a good time to have it? When is a good time not to have it in a minute? Then mm -hmm. I think what happens for me is I start collecting evidence about that yeah. person <laughs> and all behavior. And um, I start, you know, really leaning into making up a story about them. And then I really think I open up this big space for resentment to build. So yeah. instead of it being maybe one thing, now I have a list of, right. you know, three to 20 things. Um, which I have connected to the same dot. And and you become like a, um, uh, almost a detective because you're just looking for evidence to support your case. Uh -huh. um, I I know, I, I do that too, um, because I want to make sure I can make my point. Um, or when I'm gathering the evidence, there's times too that I'm talking myself out of it, to be honest. Like, is this a big deal? Like really, Kathleen? And the truth I have to tell myself is, what what is my what's holding me back and um if it's on my mind it is a big deal it's like when you said like i'm the same when i go to bed thinking about something and i wake up thinking about it it's occupying my sort of um subconscious mind and it's taking up space does that mean i talk about it right away or engage in the conversation right away no not necessarily because sometimes it's scary it feels risky um and then i get to a point where i can't i can't not and that's when I sort of become the detective because generally speaking, if someone brings something up to me, I'm gonna say, well, what happened? Really, what's the example? Give me more information. <laughs> Instead of just like, really what it is, is just like, I'm scared. This is, you know, you've heard me say that the, the tool of first truth first, first truth first is I'm really scared that what I'm gonna share with you is gonna impact our relationship because that's really what it's all about whatever the relationship is, when you share something with someone that feels kind of sticky, I say if it's Velcro, there's something there to learn, but it also, it's sticking with you. Um, yeah, it's it's like, it, it's, anyway, it just needs to come out, I think, yeah. I think there's this interesting sort of space, because I agree with you, you said at the beginning of that, I sometimes avoid having the conversation. And so I think there's this interesting space where, you know, I think in one of our social media posts, we have put uh, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. Right. And oftentimes suffering lives in the space between, um, you know, inaction. So it's like something's mm -hmm. occupying your mind, you're not taking action and so forth. And, and therefore you are sort of causing your own suffering. 
But on the other side of that coin, I think there is this piece that I would call discernment. So oftentimes the same thing is happening, uh, I think for me, when I'm pausing before engaging in a sticky conversation, is I'm discerning, is this even about them? Is a question I often would ask myself. Um, is this really about them or is this uh, about me? Is there something that's being triggered in me uh, and I'm projecting this challenge onto them? Uh, I think that's oftentimes what will slow me down in getting into a sticky conversation. And also how long is too long of a pause where I'm just you know, creating, it's not a day, it's not a week, it's not a month, it's now three years of like thinking about this and suffering and not doing anything differently. You know, I was when you were saying that I was thinking about um, the the talking yourself out of it in a way, and that fine line because I, I didn't finish my earlier thought. I just realized I'm pulling that helium balloon that's floating away back down on this thought of that. Um, I think, oh, this is me. Um, oh, it's not a big deal. Or sometimes I can talk myself out of it and then become a martyr. Uh -huh. Um, instead of bringing something up and saying, this just isn't okay with me. Because it, there's lots of reasons why we do that, right? It could be history of bringing something up with someone uh -huh. that they just bite back. Um, my own sort of letting something go too long. That That's a big thing for me is letting it go too long. And then, oh, this actually really is a thing for me, but I can talk myself out of it. And it takes so much courage. And I can tell you the most difficult conversations I have had have um, have just really transformed my life. In particular, I have to say with uh, Carson, and uh, because we work together, he's my son, and he's amazing. As everybody in out there in TV land who knows Carson knows, he's like the mom. He's amazing, and we also have our dynamics from you know we mix up mom, son, boss, employee, which he's no longer an employee. He's like a business partner, so that's a transition, giving someone more like oh this is yours too kind of thing. Um, but it's like what what am i what am i addressing here am i addressing a mom issue am i addressing a work issue and then i just can talk myself out of it but we've had some real raw real conversations that have i have to say had i had to see myself in a new way particularly from a rather troubled time in our in my life when i was getting divorced it was kind of it was not kind of it was really conflict-ridden and Carson having the courage to talk to me and me being able to hold the space and listen to the feedback, I feel took us to a whole new level in our relationship. And it was hard to hear. So when I have something difficult to say to someone, um, it is that compassion of this could be really hard for someone to hear. But I I hope and my intention is that it builds our relationship. Mm. So that's yeah. That's what yeah. I, I love that. I, th I think that I would say that's true also for me that I actually am struggling to think of a time, maybe there has been one, when, I've ha when I have had the courage to have a difficult conversation and it's really gone sideways. Um, maybe I'm just like, maybe I've put them in a box in my mind, I do not revisit, it's totally possible. Um, but my experience for the most part is that if handled with compassion and openness, it, you do create a deeper connection. I I'm curious to hear, for those of you who are here with us live, 
or even if you're not and you want to leave us a comment, um, how many of you are avoiders of sticky or difficult conversations and would just rather keep the peace? Or how many of us who are out there are just like always love to jump in and just tackle the issue head on? I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, I'm curious too. Thanks for all the birthday wishes. Yay. Another one. I used to be an avoider. Oh, Corey used to be an avoider. Avoidance, Victoria, peacekeeper. Avoider. See, avoiders and peacekeepers, that's a great codependent relationship. Nothing gets talked about. <laughs> and, and think about it organizationally in an organization. If I'm someone who isn't going to engage in a sticky conversation and I am, my leader is a peacemaker, like we could avoid issues. Uh, so recognizing how um, it can get in the way. Oh, I love that. I'm now a boat rocker. Yeah. Just a little, right? Just a little bit. You don't tip the boat over. It's not like you capsize it. <laughs> uh, half and half. Yeah. How strategic, important. Um, get to the truth, Esther. Master. Yeah. That's <laughs> one of my favorite things. Yeah. I think, and I don't think, certainly, I, I don't necessarily think, and I'm curious to know what you think, Kathleen, that one thing is, better than the other because it's so situational and there's always so much um you know subcontext and context to to what's going on i certainly know uh, in my past relationship i my ex-husband was very fiery and mm -hmm. um i got to the point where the role i played pretty much for the last i'm gonna say 10 to 15 years of our marriage was peacekeeper extraordinaire um yeah. and, and it was always like there was so much energy i was so afraid to throw any like even a sprinkle of gas on the, the fire and ultimately i think what ended up happening for me in that over a period of time is i i felt like i lost a sense of self yeah because i became so passive uh in our relationship and I didn't speak up over mm -hmm. and over again to the point where I, I think I, well, I don't think, I know I lost a sense of even my own preferences, you know, yeah. when I came out the end of that relationship. Yeah, and, and you have to rebuild on that. Like I know as a young uh, child, most people who know me um, would see me as a very assertive, sometimes aggressive, um, certainly not a conflict avoider. Um, and as a younger person, I, I never stirred things up really. I mean, as I say that I'm remembering <laughs> that I was a shit disturber in school because, um, my teacher kicked me out of class. Okay. I'm lying right now because I was a shit disturber so <laughs> my teacher kicked me out of class because I remember this. If you're watching Brenda Nason, Brenda Nason pulled my hair and I, you know, told her what I thought of that. And my teacher kicked me out of class. And they wouldn't let me back into class until I apologized. And I said, well, I'm not apologizing. Uh, you have to apologize to me. And so he's like, well, I'm not apologizing to you. I go, well, I did nothing wrong. Brendan Nason pulled my hair. And um, anyway, then he was also my volleyball coach. So at night, he, he wouldn't mention it, but he made me run laps all the time at practice. I'm like, whatever, I'll run the laps, but I'm not apologizing. So my mom actually had to come into a meeting with the principal, me and Mr. Cram, anyone who remembers. Um, and the principal's like, Kathleen, you have to apologize. I go, I do not. I'm not coming back into his class until he apologizes to me. <laughs> so I am lying to you all. I have been a conflict person. Um, and what I can say is 
I have, I have, I feel like I've softened my edges, but what's true is when you lose it every now and then, cause we all do anyone who has history with me, is like, there you go again. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't, it, it's really difficult to change as I think it through, but inside myself, I had a great deal of fear of conflict for a long time. Like I was afraid to stir the pot. I was afraid, uh, like, you know, my, my house was a little chaotic growing up. So I was afraid to disturb things. Um, so maybe I took it out on other people. But what I can say is that the more I know myself and the more I have the courage to tell people how I feel, the deeper my relationships become, as well as I have fewer close relationships. Um, because you can't handle the truth. (laughs) (laughs) Relationships, conflict with Jill. I'm a conflict avoider, but in other areas, I tend to be a mediator. Oh, Jill. Yeah. Take my advice. I'm not using it. Let me help you solve your conflicts. Have courage, but you sit back. I get it, Jill. Like maybe I do a little bit of that. I think I see myself in everything. So I'm curious, Kathleen, what do you do? Like, where's the first place you go to when you are having a difficult time with someone what's your like do you have a a process a question or like what happens for you when you're having a hard time with someone so what's true is i i really can notice um that something's happening when i'm triggered i sort of feel the heat and um i can say to myself you know like what's happening right now and um and I, I, I try to see what story, I try to examine the story I'm telling myself about the situation, which may or not, may not be true, but it's like, are they really actually out to get me? Probably not. Um, and so sometimes like what's true is I just let it go, sort of, I mean, really. But I, I try to have the conversation, I really do. And, and I, I usually, if I have something big to say to someone, What's true is I write an email first because what I notice if I'm having a really deep conversation, like something that's really big, I need to get my thoughts out because I can, I can start to then back out and feel like, Oh my God, I really hurt this person's feelings. Or like I recently uh, had a conversation with someone who I felt deeply hurt by a really good friend, like, and just deeply hurt. Um, And I know there's things going on in other people's lives all the time. And that I think, Oh, my thing isn't as big as what's happening for them. And then I just decided, no, I'm going to share how I feel because I was like, I haven't felt that hurt in a long time. And, um, and I'm like, I can't let it go on any longer. And trust me, I sat on it for a couple of weeks. Uh, and so I sent a, a text explaining how I felt and then I'm willing to talk about anything. I really am, but I have to get my thoughts out or I'll back out when I see someone reacts. And that person it just demonstrated her, her love for me and her friendship. She called me and just said, I'm sorry, can we talk about it? So I, I personally need to get my thoughts on paper. That's how I best do it. Cause I'll, I'll sort of sh- kind of stand back. If I notice what I'm saying to someone is really having an impact. Hmm. How about you? I would agree with that. I think if, well, I have two things. The first thing is if I really feel like I need slash want to have the conversation to me, it's so helpful to write it out because it's almost like, I know too when I'm triggered, but I have so many feelings and I don't really necessarily even know what the feelings are somehow until I just allow myself to kind of free flow, write them down. And then I end up with more clarity about what it is that um, I really want to say and why it matters to me. But what I will also say is 
um, as you know, I'm a, a student of A Course in Miracles, and um, I've been kind of in that work for a relatively, you know, long time at this period. And um, some sometimes, well, there's one specific incident I'm thinking of where I was having a real challenge with my relationship with my stepdad. And I was at that point where I had been collecting evidence for some time <laughs> <laughs> about all the ways um, in which, you know, I was right and he was wrong or whatever. And um, I really didn't feel like I had so much energy around it. And I really didn't feel it could be untrue. But at that time, I didn't feel I could have the conversation with him. And so I started this practice of um, praying for his happiness. Um, and the, the suggestion is to pray for someone's happiness every day for 30 days. And it's like when I do it, um, and it's something I've used in many, many instances, it's like a 20 second exercise. I pray for his happiness and I would see him through the eyes of love. And I would see him as whole, perfect and complete, just as he was. And if I had any thoughts about, oh, you know, but if only he was less this or more that, I would mm -hmm. just hand the thoughts over into the light, if you like. So I would just be like, no, just as he is without needing him to be any different. He's whole, perfect and complete. So um, this was probably a couple of years ago. And it was the first time for me that it was really, really an incredibly powerful process. So I would say within probably about 15 to 20 days, our relationship started to transform. And I started to see him uh, just in a different light. Mm -hmm. And we did get to a point where we could have a conversation. Uh, but in case anyone out there wants to give it a try, when, when you feel like maybe a conversation isn't an option, um, I really highly recommend praying for someone's happiness uh, and just seeing if you can internally transform your own feelings around it and watch the relationship transform on the yeah. outside. I don't know what you think about that, Kathleen. I, I love it. I love it in theory. Um, and God bless you for being able to do that in practice. I, <laughs> I would, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on like day 71, I think, of course, in miracles. So I'm, I'm a work in progress on the praying for someone's happiness. Um, and I do, I actually feel that um, that is a, a healthy um healthy way to be and I was what you made me think about is what I do because you asked me what do I do and I got thinking more about how I see people I try to look through a new lens hmm. just like you as full and complete and I say no one is one thing hmm. like I'm not one thing and they're not one thing so that when I am like looking for the evidence I I work really hard at saying and what's the good thing hmm. um and and what is the positive thing about that person because I really do um, I want people to give me that grace as well okay. as, you know, yeah, I, maybe I lost it in that moment or I sounded aggressive. Um, when I sound aggressive, it's usually because I'm scared. I, I, I don't think that's a shocking revelation for the world, for all of us. You know, when we, when we're acting in a way that seems really sort of fighty or flighty, it's because we're afraid of something and, and it's try to drop into the, what is, what is the fear? What's being what's at risk and that's you know back to sort of the topic of sticky conversations is what's at risk here um i feel like doing the praying for someone great idea you see someone differently i i want to see people differently no one is one thing and i i feel like a conversation still has to be had 
and it can come from a different place. When I figure out where's my heat coming from and you know, the tool that we share often with our clients and, and some of our webinars is the levels of truth. And if, when you can get to your, what's called a level five truth, like what is it about me in this conversation or this situation that's true, that has nothing to do with the other person. It's like when we don't like someone, we can say, you know, I just don't like that person. It has nothing to do with that person. It's, I don't like myself in the presence of that person. So if we can separate ourselves from that sort of external factor, because I have felt, I don't like other things. I felt unloved by people at other times. I have felt fear in different situations. So it has nothing to do with that person. So if I can unpack what it is about me that's shaky on shaky ground, and then I'll, I'll decide, is this relationship something I want to take deeper or am I willing to keep it at a distance? And some I do decide that, Natalie, you, you know you know lots about me, is like some I just say, I'm just not gonna go there because do I really wanna have a deeper relationship? Not really, but this one's really important. So I wanna, I wanna go into that, um, yeah. I, I think um, KDB has an interesting question in the chat and um, she says, what if you gen genuinely do not like the person? And I mm -hmm. wanted to ask you, because I know that when um, you teach this, one of the one of the things that that you go through is like what's the purpose of this you know yeah. what's the purpose of this um having this dialogue so maybe yeah. i don't know for me those two things go together but they do yeah and it's like what what is there's generally about i i think i can identify at the top of my head three reasons for having a sticky conversation one is to just express myself the second is to to mend or deepen a relationship and the third is to solve a problem so sometimes we have to solve problems with people we don't like. Uh, and that would be, you know, where no surprise, I uh, will say this is where we find values that can connect us. Okay, we both value respect. What does respect look like to you? What does it look like to me? How are we together going to put this problem in front of us, physically in front of us instead of between us, so we can look at it from this place? Um, and that that's the reality on teams it, with work groups. Like you don't get to pick the team necessarily and and there's people that you might not like or agree with but we have to find a way to have a conversation and that's sort of that problem solving my intention is to solve this problem i'm not going to sit by the fire and sing kumbaya i get it but together we have to find a way to solve this issue because this is in front of us and i know we can so you have to look deep enough um, for a connection i often say find something in common even if it's just that you both breathe oxygen like start there um, and kind of an exaggerated way of bringing people to say, you know, we're humans, um, you know, but you, it's not like you have to go hang out with them at lunch kind of thing. So I was thinking about this, you know, us having this conversation and, uh, and I was thinking about, and I'm curious in the chat, anyone, do you have a, Maybe it's because I'm, it's my birthday today. I'm very reflective and looking at my life, but just sticky conversation you have to have with yourself. Um, and, you know, does that even resonate? You know, what, what do you need to look at in your own life? And I think when something comes up, it's because it's in me, you know, kind of if you spot it, you got it. But I'm just curious if, if, um, if anyone has like, I, what do I need? What am I not looking at? And, totally resonate yeah, Ellen um, yeah so I, I have a thought but I want to hear what you think of that 
Yeah, I, well, I did, if you have a follow-on thought, you go first, because I wanted to speak to Ellen's other comment in the chat about um, she doesn't like how stressed out she feels when dealing with the person, so perhaps having a different mindset when or before I approach them, but I don't want to interrupt your thought process here. Oh, yeah, that's a good one, Ellen. Cool. Yeah. Let's, let's do it. I, I'll just go, I'll just kind of wrap it. Maybe it'll spark something for later discussion. But I was watching the show Firefly Lane. I don't know if I'm watching it, but it's like my life. I swear <laughs> to God, it's me. And it's like, this was my life in many ways. But I was, it got me thinking about the things I wanted in my life and how so many things are not what I wanted. It, it This may sound like a depressing conversation. I don't mean to make it sound depressing, but it's like, you know, in one of the scenes, the, um, I can't remember her name because I'm terrible with names, but the blonde, not, um, oh my gosh. Catherine Heigl, the other one. I can't remember her name either. Who I thought was Ashley Judd. I thought Ashley Judd yeah. was coming back into TV. But anyway, she walks into her house and it's this big, fabulous house with a staircase. And I was like, I wanted a house like that. And I wanted a life like that. And I wanted a view of the lake and I wanted, I wanted a beach house and I wanted love for life. And I wanted um, my kids to come visit me every weekend. And I wanted Sunday dinners and I wanted big Christmas, all these things that I was thinking about, gosh, I really wanted those things in my life. And I was pining, I'm not gonna lie. I just had this sort of reflective like, wow, what have I done? And then I, I had to shift it into, well, what have I done? amazing you know i've done great things in my life i still have regrets and and loss and gaps i feel like areas that i like to fill in but it's kind of like that with another applying it to another person if i feel like um, i'm looking for all the things they did wrong to me i then have to turn around and say well what did they do right mm, i love that and and that's that's kind of what i, I did with myself I was like okay like you don't have all those things you thought you wanted um what kind of things did you do that were really good in this world and how can I apply that to other people in the context of sticky conversations? So that was my big deep insight on the weekend, binging it, on Firefly Lane. It's interesting that you say that because I had a similar thought recently um, and it was about being a mum. And I think for me, being a mum is one of the areas that um, I always feel the most guilt. And I have, I, I, I'm not a big regrets person. So there's not many things up until now <laughs> in my life that I can say I really regret, but I do, there are things to do with my kids where I could have that kind of feeling that you're describing, especially because my kids are getting older. So mm -hmm. for those of you out there who don't know, I have a 21 year old, a 17 year old and a 13 year old. And this kind of reality hits you, which is like, oh my God, in five years time, they might all be gone. How the hell did this happen? It seems like yesterday that they were all sitting in high chairs with spaghetti all around their face. And um, my regrets would look something like, you know, I wish I had done it differently, or I wish I had found more time to be with them, or I wish I had. And I, I, I stopped myself. And I did in the moment, I feel like began to think of what you're saying and nobody is one thing. What about all the things that I did right? What about mm -hmm. all the times that I, you know, I always worked for myself. So I always was available to go to anything that they had on at school. Mm -hmm. And like one side of things is that Tallulah, my oldest would always say, you know, oh, I was always late to pick her up, um, but I always picked her up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It was not there in the end. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I, th I think I relate to what you're saying. I really had some reflection on 
instead of always thinking about what I didn't do for my kids and what I wish I had done, yeah. how up until this point they have had really a, quite a lovely and interesting life. Well, they have. Yes. <laughs> Your kids have. <laughs> I was thinking, you know, we should do one of these, you are inevitable podcasts because you are inevitable. No matter what you do, you still rise above in our own way um, uh, about regret. And there's a book, I can't remember who wrote it. It's on my bookshelf behind me, um, but The Power of Regret and how useful it can be to move forward. It's not sitting in something, it's more, oh, well, here's another opportunity. What could I do differently? It's sort of flipping it uh, on its head. I like that. Um, so I was, I it, let's get to Ellen's question, but I'll, I'll wrap up my thought on this is on Sunday, Mother's Day, I have three kids as well. Um, none of my kids are here. And um, I live out of town, but anyway, not, not Kennedy, but, it, it, irrelevant, the details. Um, and I was thinking, gosh, I'm, I don't have any of my kids with me on Mother's Day. How might that feel? Because a friend of mine's like, well, God, how does it feel? And it was like, I can't tell you how happy I feel in this moment because all of my kids were here for like five days and everybody's good. Like everybody's good. It's crazy. It's so good. I, I sometimes fear it gonna shake up because everybody's good. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't feel sad or lonely or anything on, on Mother's Day. It was more like how accomplished I felt that my kids are good. It's uh, anyway, we're getting into this regret thing where we have sticky conversations on the mind. Well, so the thing I wanted to say about Ellen's comment in it, uh, as Kathleen and I chose this for um, discussion, I had been thinking about one of my favorite books uh, and it was just like, you know, one of those books that changes your life, changes your thinking for me. It is called The Anatomy of Peace by the Arbinger Institute. Mm -hmm. I, I'm pretty sure you also have read it. Mm -hmm. And um, it's my favorite book on conflict resolution. And the main concept that jumped out at me when I read it many, many years ago was um, this idea of having a heart at war or a heart at peace. And that is why uh, when I was in the situation with my stepdad that I described earlier, that I made the very conscious choice to pray for his happiness for 30 days because my I could feel how at war my heart was. Mm -hmm. And if you read The Anatomy of Peace, what they talk about is it, if your heart is at war, then it doesn't matter what words are coming out of your mouth. Um, you could be saying theoretically the nicest, most gentle thing, but the person receiving would feel the anger inside of you. Yeah. And so I, I am, you know, you, you said you feel so stressed out, Ellen, when you think about it. And so a question I'm often asking myself is how can I create more neutrality for myself around this situation so that, I'm not coming at the sticky conversation from a reactionary place of being triggered, but I'm coming at the sticky conversation from a place of really wanting to either, as you described, express, um, problem solve, or I think the third one was deepen the relationship. Yeah. But when I'm, when my heart is at war, that is very difficult to get to any kind of, um, internal condition that would allow me to do that and and maybe this idea of a heart at peace feels too 
sometimes for me it can even feel too far like no I'm pissed off my heart will not be at peace about this but maybe I can get to more neutral um, and that's something that I'm often looking for so I can bring my what I would like to say true self to the conversation yeah um not my triggered self to the conversation because whenever I agree with that that's great advice because when I teach conflict resolution um I say the moment your emotions go unexpressed is when the negotiation stops and and Phil Phil is Philip is here and he's a, a mediator lawyer mediator you know this drill but it's when people are so emotional everything stopped you can keep talking you can keep pretending you're coming to agreement but whatever you agree on isn't going to last because i wasn't heard you know people want to be understood you don't necessarily have to agree so going into a sticky conversation with that in mind saying um you know i want to be heard how can i hear this person and and you know you you brought up a, a point before we got on the call about you know how do you listen um in a, when someone's having a sticky conversation or when you are when you initiate or they initiate um how are you listening and i really work hard am i perfect at it no so there's always dissonance there's always better but at um at the compa my compassionate heart but also what's the possibility here what could come out of this conversation that could make things different and better um what part of me is holding on to um a part of me that is afraid to change or shift and what might it be for them i can't decide for them but if i can give myself and them that sort of space and grace to be in in the emotion or the trigger then we can navigate it and sometimes uh, i was talking to someone yesterday and sometimes uh, the advice i gave is sometimes you can just say this is too much for me for me i need five minutes uh can we come back to this in an hour or can i can we regroup tomorrow that's a really great um, strategy to bring yourself back to the ground if you can't do it internally but also that can be careful that doesn't become your avoidance mm. so it's like the oh this is me getting in understanding my side of the conversation how i show up in it do i really need to have this conversation it takes a lot of self-awareness to go am i avoiding um am i uh, like sort of telling myself something that isn't true just to get out of it so it's that constant self-reflective practice of of am i being so overly generous um and taking the responsibility for it to really just still avoid it or am i really being a jerk and um this is a non-issue like we can trick ourselves into being you know i'm the peacemaker kind of thing yeah i i love that um philip put here in the chat seek first to understand and and then to be understood and uh i agree i think that that coming in with curiosity and listening like you, you shared at the beginning like listening for possibility um and listening and it's a tough one but trying to listen without an in constant internal uh judgment about uh what someone saying might mean instead of listening to what they're actually saying and then um uh richard says i choose to be around people that do not have a dark cloud over their head i prefer people that live with lots of sunshine and i i agree um with that richard but i do also think that unless we don't want to be in relationship with other humans um 
even if people are you know glorious and wonderful and kind you know the very nature of human relationship is that uh, it is not just sunshine all the time you know as we interact with each other i think it's part of life you know the the contrast that we see in the macro also exists in the in the micro so um yeah I love yeah that. one of my my go-to authors i do like the arbinger institute there's the um uh that's the anatomy of peace there's the anatomy of there's another anatomy of something an earlier book than that one that i loved but i also really love adam kahane and I believe he's a Canadian uh, author, um, does works on peace talk, global peace talks, really wonderful. But he says, you know, there's, I won't remember them all. There's four kinds of conversation. There's debate, you go into, to, there's a download. I'm just gonna barf it up and tell you what I think. There's a debate where nothing new is produced. You're just giving each point, just arguing, listening to what's the counter point. There's something else and then there's dialogue, generative dialogue. And I try to go to the generative dialogue place of what new can be created here, especially when the relationship is a high stakes relationship. Like, it's not like I can just walk away from certain things. I, I have to find a deeper place. And my greatest tool is the tool of first truth first. And um, the first truth first is I'm worried what I'm going to say is going to affect our relationship. That's what I'm, that's the fear. We aren't afraid um, of, to give feedback or to have a sticky conversation that we're not afraid of that. The fear that we have is our potential inability to cope with their reaction to what we're sharing with them. That's the fear, not the saying it, it's the what's going to happen after. And that's where we, you know, if we can get clear on where we are in it, you know, what is at risk for me? What am I afraid of? We can still go into the conversation with all those feelings, but at least we're coming from a place of understanding and being clear on how we're co-creating this situation. And, in, it, and we cannot solve a problem unless we're first, of course, willing to be part of it. So how am I co-creating this, this, this conflict? How am I co-creating this trouble between us? I had a part. And if I'm not willing to look at my part, I do wait on the conversation because I, it takes me sometimes to go, oh, okay. Um, I love that. It, and I've heard you say it many times before, but um, I think it bears repeating um, the if I'm not willing to be a part of the problem mm -hmm. yeah because it yeah. you know many of us on here would follow an e plus r equals o kind of mentality you know there's always an opportunity i think even if it's tiny for us to take responsibility for some part of the role that we play in creating these situations in our life um kdb had a question in the chat what are a couple of options to handle i choose to have the sticky chat but the other person comes at me energetically combative and or they have a distorted view or distorted the facts hmm. what are your thoughts so i would argue they feel the same about you you know someone thinks i have distorted facts when i think they have it all wrong but facts are stubborn things so what you want to look for is actual tangible facts if you're really working in going into a negotiation or a conflict resolution not you know you're you're aggressive okay what does that mean well last tuesday when i said this you reacted this way and i see that i experience that as aggression here's the key kdb is to say how do you see it um the other key a, a great tip for needing to or wanting to engage in a sticky conversation with someone is you have to give them notice i mean have you ever been blindsided 
by someone who gives you this feedback or wants to have this conversation. You're like, where the heck did this come from? Like maybe I, I say to myself, maybe I'm taking the easy way out by sending an email or uh, a text asking for the conversation. This is what's up for me. Uh, maybe, but I also am not a person. I don't like surprises at all. Um, so I, I think it's respectful to give someone a heads up and say, are you willing? And the answer can be no. So then somehow inside yourself, they're seeking that resolution that I did what I could do. We see the world differently. We see different things. How am I going to cope with their um, lack of willingness to engage with me? What's my part in creating that wall? You don't have to own it all. I, I always say, you know, the take 100% responsibility uh, for your life. Okay, sure. Hard to do. Take 100% responsibility for 50% of the relationship because that's all you can do is you can do your part and people sometimes don't want to play. There's other people who I have said, I do not want to speak to you again. And that's maybe it hurt their feelings. Maybe it didn't, but it's so unhealthy and toxic that I'm like, I, I'm not putting myself, I'm not setting the target up for the arrow one more friggin' day. Um, I will live without you in my life. That's kind of where I go. I, kind of, I feel like I was all over the place, KDB. But you always have such good questions. Um, and, um, and, and I would say the truth is, what is truth? It's my perspective, my feelings, um, my frame on the situation. It's just my perspective. It doesn't mean it's, 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 the, it's not an objective truth. It's how I'm experiencing the situation. And they might have a different, it's more subjective. And yours was far more detailed than mine would be. But when I saw the question, I thought, for me, it's curiosity is what comes up. And, and you articulated it well in the beginning there. But even with Phillips, seek to understand, not to be understood. Yeah, I, I find. I find and again, I'm I'm curious on your opinion on this, but I have found both in a business context and in a personal context if I can manage my own energy in an interaction that is a sticky conversation or a difficult conversation, mm -hmm. I tend not to energy match. Uh, so if someone escalates, mm -hmm. I don't move. And what I have found, and I learned this actually when I ran my first company, because I would have clients that would call me, not all the time, because we did a good job, guys, <laughs> but sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> clients would call me very uh you know angry about things and so I just used to make the choice not to energy match so I would always listen and I would just mm -hmm. be very very calm and what I found is that people run out of steam <laughs> ultimately yeah. and if you can hold your energy at a level for long enough most people will come and meet you where you are um, and in that calmness I would listen and be curious that was always my strategy and once mm -hmm. i really want someone especially if they're you know it's incoming i guess i really really want someone to feel like they're being heard um, mm -hmm. and i really want to hear is the truth so that i can begin to unpick or figure out what's next so i don't know if you yeah yeah i i i agree um and, and i also i was thinking about it's not a conflict or anything situation, but sometimes with clients when I'm, I'm coaching, um, 
and, and an area of study that I'm really digging into, as you know, is that polyvagal theory is like, you have to first connect the nervous system is the real storyteller and to energetically connect with people where they are um, and, and calm it to bring people back to sort of a stable state. But in a conflict, I'm not so sure that would serve us to meet someone in that sort of fight mode um, because we do want to de-escalate. And, and part of my, where my imagination was going when you were talking about it is I can see how that's helpful and I can see how customer service representatives have done that with me. Um, and, and then I go into this place of you're reading a script. You're not really hearing me. You know, you got to give me something back. Uh, not you, Natalie. It's like I. It I works. For, <laughs> it works. It works. It works to kind of get the energy down because people. Um, and and Philip, I think that that this is your your space that we're kind of walking into. But it's really again understanding isn't agreeing. Mm. I just I understand. It's like, wow, that's really crappy. Like I I had all this landscaping done in my yard, and it was uh, it was the worst experience with this guy, worst. And I had to do this other thing because why not hire them to do more when it's not working in the first place? That's my part of the problem. <laughs> hey, do more work for me. I'm not happy with this work, but do more. Anyway, he tore off this whole side of my house and put turf right to the house. And the next summer, the grass isn't growing for like a two foot line. So I call him. I say, what's wrong with the grass? He's like, well, you shouldn't have grass up against the house. Well, you put it in. Like I was, I was incensed. Like you, you, I used other words. Like what, what am I? So I was that escalated customer, but dude, fix it. You're an idiot. I did not want to build a relationship with him. Uh -huh. You know, there's some that I just go like, I, I am so, I can't believe I hired you to do another job. What is up with me? So I just kind of retreated, moved the direction of my damn sprinklers and went, okay, live with it. Unresolved. We'll never get a good in the number. unresolved box. Yeah, that one's unresolved. But but you know, here's the thing though. I'm just thinking about what my point would be with that because I have to have one, or it's a waste of time. Is you have to think about what it what do you want from the relationship? Mm -hmm. You know, if it's sort of a one and done, like a telemarketer kind of a thing. Um, not that I'm rude. I don't mean it that way. But it's like, how much do I want to invest in this? It's like, am I ever going to work with this guy again? No. Do I want him to fix fix this? No. Move on, Kathleen. You did not need to say those words. Just move on. Just move on. I agree with you in the context that you're talking about. And I think what was coming up for me when you were mentioning that was brought me back to listening. And I, you know, obviously I've been a coach for a long time. And as a coach, we get trained in active listening and non-judgmental listening and all those kinds of things. But Carson and I often have this conversation in a business context where I will say to him, I'm always listen first. So listen first. And people, like you said in there, curiosity isn't necessarily agreement. And I think yeah. that's a really, really powerful thing for us to think about because I can listen to someone and um, I they might say something I disagree with completely in a business context. And I will think, okay, I don't agree with that. I'll put that over there. What else have you got? And I'll continue to listen to them and I'll think, okay, all right, well, I could kind of agree with that thing. Or oh, this thing is interesting. But I think that what happens for a lot of us is the moment that we hear something that we disagree with or we have a judgment about, we switch our listening off or we mm -hmm. tune our listening to 
I don't get along with this person or I don't agree with this person or this person doesn't say that see the world in the same way that I do. And then I start to filter my listening through that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a, an interesting skill to be able to listen um, and remain curious mm-hmm. and disagree, but not get hooked or stuck on it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm telling you, conversations always come back to values for me. They're anchors. If I have, like, as you know, my aspirational value is compassion. Um, and, and if I can remind myself, remember who I really am, I can say, okay, it, this you're grounded. Like, you don't have to get swept away in the emotion of this. And as Peter said, or Philip said, you know, the person who's calmer essentially owns the conversation, which is so true. Um, and uh, it's so true. The person who's, who's got sort of a calmer demeanor um, controls the energy and allowing someone to say, you know, whatever it is they need to say and have them feel heard. You don't have to agree with it. Um, but still, it's a matter of understanding your values and being having, I used to have my purpose in life is to use my authenticity and something else. I can't remember what it is, probably integrity to live my life more curious than afraid. Mm. Yeah. Um, curiosity is a powerful value to move into when you're feeling disruptive internally. It, it can help you get grounded. You don't have to agree with people. You don't have to change who you are. It's just like, take a beat, listen, you might grow and you might become more clear in who you are either way you win, but just, you don't have to fight. Um, yeah. So sticky, let's kind of put a bow on this. Sticky conversations are those things that you, you, you know, as Natalie said, she goes to bed thinking about it, wakes up thinking about it. My rule of thumb, if that's what happens to me, it's something I need to talk about. Do I do it right away? Um, not necessarily, but I, I try my very best. We all do the best we can, um, to look at my part in it and to use the tool first truth first is I feel like this is going to affect our relationship and I get really clear on what I want of the relationship and the ones that are higher stakes, uh, that feel riskier to me are the ones I really should dive into because those are the people I want to get deeper connected to. Um, and then accept that. Not everyone wants to have the conversation with you, except that people don't see the world the same as you. If they did, it would be boring and look for the learning. But that's sort of my takeaways from this conversation. Natalie, what are yours? Um, I'm curious to know how you would wrap this. I think my takeaways from this conversation are about um, the power of being able to neutralize your energy somewhat, the power of calm and the power of uh, curiosity and listening with the intention to understand. Um, And I think it takes self-awareness and self-confidence to be willing to listen to understand as opposed to pushing to make yourself understood by the other. So I think that's a wrap, right, for today? Well, I I just want to say one more thing, though, because we were talking about values. Um, and a lot of our audience really, really knows that this is our, it's our jam values. And we are working on our own values assessment, um, to help people get a sort of a, a foundational, like, where am I right now? And, um, what might my next step be and what values could I really, um, use to inspire forward action? So I just want to share that's coming soon. On its way. But uh, yeah, other than that, I feel like it's a wrap. So what do you, anything else you have to say there? Yeah, so, yeah, it's a wrap. Thank you for joining us. 
Um, we would be very grateful if you uh, liked our podcast on any of the available platforms, subscribed, and maybe if you have time to share your thoughts in a review, um, that would be awesome. And yeah, just thank you so much for joining us for our first official You Are Inevitable podcast. Thank you for the birthday wishes and, and we'll be here um, at the at the 60 uh, 60 year old mark next year. <laughs> and we'll bring a, a few more decades, combined decades. But uh, love you all. Love you, Natalie. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for taking your time to spend with us. We appreciate it.